Welcome into another episode of Turn the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I am Kieran Steckley. With me, as always, is the man whose preferred draft pick comes from a keg. He is Cody Stavenhagen. How you doing? <laughs> doing good, Kieran. We we got a lot to talk about here. <laughs> Reacting live just a few minutes after the selection of Max Clark, who pretty much no one saw coming. Okay, so a couple things that my, my spacey brain is kind of going to. Number one, shout out Jason Beck. We talked about it on this podcast when the Tigers worked out Max Clark. Like, he put it out there like, you know, sources said or whatever, which, you know, it's just an, I'm not going to say it's an odd thing, but it's not a usual thing for, you know, the team, MLB.com, like, reporter to do it in that fashion. We talked about who does it benefit. I, I really couldn't put my thumb to it. Uh now you could probably say it benefited the Tigers to just kind of float it out there that re- they really like this kid. I think that might be a, a, a safe assumption, which was one of the theories we posted, but we didn't necessarily didn't necessarily like you know go all in on it. Uh, two, we talked before the draft, Cody, about like you know this notion you you you've and you've mentioned it on the podcast about how tight lipped. The Tigers, this regime is in regards to like, oh, guys they like or whatever. And and I made the point that are we just kind of saying college bat because it yeah. makes sense and it sounds good? Like, is it just kind of an example of groupthink? Obviously, me, you know, th- throwing myself in there as well. Not to say that we were lazy, but it just checked all the boxes. It made the most sense in the world. It has been, you know, Lankford had been slotted there basically the entire mock draft season. And... I think it just kind of became like accepted as fact, but it wasn't necessarily based in anything other than speculation. And then the speculation kind of became the fact, I guess. Uh, Langford was there. Now it was, I, I want to give a shout out to ESPN's Kylie McDaniel. He was the only one of that stature. If I miss somebody, I'm sorry, that had Paul Skeens going one overall. Like yeah. he had it the whole time. Nobody, even when it looked like Cruz was going to, you know, demand too much money or whatever from Pittsburgh. He still didn't waver or put Lankford there or whatever. He had him there. I want to give a shout-out. Uh, his work is obviously top-notch. So, draft still going on. I mean, let, let's get into it, Kieran. What's your reaction to the pick? Okay, so my reaction to the pick is the Tigers are not on the timeline that we think they are. Which is not to say that one's better than the other. I also think they just became too enamored with the potential. Because we talked about this, like, you got to take your be- the best player you can. And you can't it'd be irresponsible to take a college bat just because you think you need a guy who's three years older. Like, if this guy is projects as a better player, in my opinion, then you take him. And they clearly thought that. Max Clark seems like an interesting personality. I... Yeah, I have no issues with that. I could see some, you know, some blonde wigs in in the stands at Comerica Park here in a couple of years. Like that's possible. We, uh, we constantly compliment the Tigers' marketing team, and you know, there's going to be a lot of opportunities there too. He is a, as of now, a true center fielder. We've long talked about Riley Green eventually being in a corner. If things go according to plan, this this might be your avenue. Uh, he's 6'1", 190, so he's still going to grow into his body, but he's not small now. And it, and I, I watched the ESPN broadcast. I don't know how MLB Network handled it or whatever, but they, they throw in some 
some graphics. Like, as of now, 18 years old. He turns 19 in December. He's got slightly above average bat speed. So you figure with more coaching and, and, and strength and conditioning programs and blah, 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 like that in theory should increase. You're betting on potential here. I can't I'll, – I'll tell you this. I don't feel like I did – a couple of years ago with the Joe pick, where it's like, I get it. You take the high school guy. Uh, I know it wasn't high school versus college strictly there, but even though there were some possibilities, but like, I get it. I wouldn't have done it. I have no problems with this Max Clark selection. I think potentially he is right there. And I don't want his selection to kind of be cloaked in some underslot stuff. I'm not saying that doesn't play a factor, but you're not getting a lesser tier caliber prospect, in my opinion. As much as I like Langford, I have no like. I I still think you could you could sell me Max Clark as a better prospect. You could sell me on that, and and I don't think you're, and you're not like out of bounds or trying to do a first takey type deal. It's like no no no, he's actually a better prospect than Langford. It's fine, but Langford's Langford's ceiling just by the very nature of taking a college guy versus a high school guy is you're not going to be able to work with him like you can Max Clark. And this regime, I always said, was going to tell us a lot with how they – a plethora of options. They told us a lot here. They went with a not a non-consensus player slotted to them. No one, I don't think, actually really thought they are going to take Max Clark. And they did over Lankford. So, to me, this – tells me what they value. It also tells me they don't really give a crap about, almost had a bad word there, give a crap about uh, like the right-left thing. Because if you were going to project out the easy lineup for the next couple years, you probably wanted a right-handed outfielder that you could you know, slot in there in some pretty strong ink. That's obviously not Max Clark. He's a lefty. But the profile makes sense to take him third overall. It's like I put on Twitter. It's like they saw Corbin Carroll, and they're like, I want me one of those. And, and and so, like, I get it. I get 100% what they're doing here. I don't know if I would have done it, but I have no qualms with this selection. But you're really banking on your development system, your performance science system, because there's not really any point in taking a high schooler if you're not going to, like, mold him into the player of his high high caliber, whereas a college guy, like, he's a little bit more of a finished product. Yeah, I'm struggling with my reaction to this pick because there's so many thoughts. I mean, I have said on this pod that I really like Max Clark. Keith Law has said he could be 1-1 in a different draft. There is an argument that maybe he was. I mean, he could have gone 1-1. The Pirates supposedly were looking at him. I do wonder, did the Tigers really believe, was he the number one guy on their board or was he... How much did money play into it? That's kind of the unanswerable question. We'll never really know. I have a hard time believing there wasn't some money at stake. I think Max Clark can be a really good player. He is a fly-tool guy. For all these reactions and the hot takes and the outrage, it's like, well, you just mentioned Corbin Carroll. He went like 16th overall. He's going to be the best prospect in that draft class probably. The MLB drafts is a hard science. We just don't know everything about these players, and baseball is so hard to predict. Max Clark, there's a ton to like about him. People say he's the closest to a five-tool guy in this draft. The caveat, though, I don't think I would have taken him over Wyatt Langford. Uh, the knock on Clark, like, there's some uncertainty. How much power is there? Langford, we kind of know that there's some power in that bat. Langford wasn't just any guy. He was a really, really good prospect. 
again, we can sit here and debate because Spencer Torkelson was supposed to be a really, really good prospect, and here we are, still not sure exactly what he is. It goes to show you the uncertainty, but man, it feels like a little bit of overthinking. And even if, I, I do think the ultimate point is what you started with. Even if the Tigers are right, even if Max Clark ends up being the best prospect in this draft class, the timeline isn't what a lot of us thought it was, and it's probably not what most people want it to be. There was a legitimate case that Dylan Cruz or Wyatt Langford could have been playing in the major leagues in 2025. You could pencil them in. You could have Riley Green. You could have Colt Keith. You could add a couple players via free agency. You could talk yourself into the 2025 Tigers looking kind of nice. And the chances of Max Clark being in the big leagues in 2025 are pretty much zero. Riley Green got to the big leagues about a year or two quicker than people thought he was. Even if Max Clark follows that uh, development trajectory, it's going to be a little bit longer than it would have been with one of the college guys. And you talk about the center field thing, move Riley to a corner. Riley's going to be knocking on free agency, by, <laughs> which is strange to think of, but he's going to be knocking on free agency uh, potentially by the time Max Clark is in the major leagues. I don't think it's as controversial as the Job pick. I think the Tigers got a good player here. They potentially got a really good player here. It's not as risky as the Job pick. But the optics, man... The board fell in the Tigers' favor. They had Langford, and they didn't take him. And just like Meyer and Job, we're going to be comparing these two guys for probably the rest of their careers. So well, the, the Tigers funny, better be prepared to live with that. The funny thing is, is that like Langford was a guy who was prepared to go under slot to go one. So I guess it stands the reason you could go under slot at three if you really wanted to. And then we're still talking about, you know, we're still talking about like. You know, not that much money in terms of trying to get a guy to agree to whatever whatever number. Uh, so I just want to give some very basic MLB pipeline draft coverage. Money right shouldn't here. have been a concern for the Tigers in this pool. They had a huge bonus pool. Yeah, that is, that is worth noting. So, like I said, he turns 19 on December 21st. He's 6'1, 190, throw, bat, lefty. He was going to go to Vanderbilt. I don't know if you ever heard of it. Pretty good at baseball. And his grades, again, this is according to MLB.com, hit 60, power 50, run 70, arm 65, field 60, and overall 60 grade, according to MLB.com. He can throw the ball 97 miles an hour from, uh, from the mound, apparently. Uh, he seems like an overall great athlete. Him and Walker Jenkins were considered the best high school players for basically the past three years. Uh, the... It's not to me about like passing on what we would consider a more sure thing in Langford. To me, it's this is this is how this front office looks at risk. That 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 that's another kind of line that I'm drawing right now. Is again, we're 10, 15 minutes after the pick was made. I thought it was going to be Langford the whole time. They went with Max Clark. I immediately went back to Jason Beck's tweet. You know, I just started laughing, and, you know, as a guy who is just general, a fan of, you know, let's get weird. Let's get weird, man. Like, as you said, there's no there's no how-to with this, really, like, to uh, guarantee success. It's going to be more about what they do with him once he's in the system, but they looked at this as they hire upside player. I would have to assume that w that was what their evaluation was. I don't think, I don't think signability 
or slot was that much of an issue. No one talked about it ex- with except for for Cruz. And right. if you were prepared to take Cruz, knowing he wasn't going to go under slot, like you would be getting too cute to take Clark for like on the pie chart of reasons to take him with that being more than 20% and that's like being generous. So, you know, the draft is not just one pick. We're only talking about this one now. We'll cover the others uh, on next week's pod. But, like, I can get – it's funny. I'm actually kind of low-key mad at you because, like, I think two weeks ago I texted you. I was like, all right, so should I go on eBay and buy some Max Clark cards? Like, is he going to be – and you're like, nah, man. Uh, you know, he's going to be – you know, he's going to get drafted high. But the tig- I've heard nothing about the Tigers, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and, that was the truth. I had a lot yeah. – look, I had a lot of conversations with a lot of smart people. I never really heard Max Clark to the Tigers. Now, you and I did talk about this earlier today, though. I also never heard anything a thousand percent concrete about who their number one was or who they were going to take. It was a lot of, they'll probably take Cruz or Langford. Like, and this wasn't just from Joe Blows, it was from, from people who knew. But I, it wasn't from people inside the Tigers front office. They were very, very quiet, more quiet than in previous years and it did leave just enough room to wonder like could they have something else up their sleeve sure enough they did and that also tells us a little bit of something about how this new regime is going to operate probably not the first probably not the last time we are going to see similar methods of kind of cloaking their moves which you know Oh, that's not necessarily a criticism like that there's there that can be a good strategy in some cases and the Pirates, yeah. you know, who the hell, the Pirates cloaked the hell out of number one. You know, Kylie, I guess, had a, an inside track, but no one knew that for sure until seconds before, you know, minutes before the pick. Yeah, if you watch ESPN, about three minutes before uh, ESPN's the ESPN's ticker had... had it before anyone, yeah. <laughs> so, I guess, shout out ESPN. I was watching MLB it. Network. It was still in commercial. I start seeing screenshots pop. I was like, what is going on? And that was another thing, that number two pick. Uh, comes and it's Cruz and I'm sitting here I had a Langford tweet typed out and I was just waiting for someone to give me 100% confirmation 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 and it never came which tells you that you know just kind of tells you about the line of communication it never came and then it was like oh it's not Langford at all it's Max Clark I think this kid's gonna be fun to watch man it's a little bit like Job it's almost unfortunate and that I think a lot of fans are going to not like him right off the bat. And I think it's different than Joe because he's not a pitcher and he's, he's I think, overall, like, industry-wide, more highly regarded. I, I don't know if he's safe-safe, but I think he's safer than Job. Um, but he's going to kind of have an uphill battle, which in a way sucks. This is an electrifying prospect. Like, if, if Cruz and Langford went 1-2... And the Tigers took Clark over Skeens. I don't think I think a lot of people would have liked that actually. Yeah, well, you know, that's another thing. Perspective is everything. Uh, obviously, Langford is going to get to the majors faster than Max Clark, unless something just crazy happens right. for either one of them. Uh, by the way, the, the that, Rich that, get richer. The, the Texas Rangers getting Langford falling in their lap. And again, right, look at what the, the Texas Rangers did not hesitate. I think they are thrilled right now to be walking out with Wyatt Langford. Yeah, and it's, uh, Scott Harris 
Keeps, keeps us on our toes, man. Yeah, so we will, uh, <laughs> unfortunately, won't make this pod. Scott and Rob Metzler and Mark Connor, I believe, will be talking with the reporters tonight. We'll get to probe into their thinking a little bit. We'll see what they say. I have a feeling they're going to say he was our guy the whole time. We drafted the best player available. They'll probably say he's gritty uh, <laughs> and some more scouting cliches. But I am interested to to hear how that goes. We will, we will have plenty of time to recap that in the future. I, I will say this uh, real quick. I'll just kind of wrap up this portion of the pod. I'm I, I Scott comes across as like kind of this like straight laced dude, you know what I mean, and you know clean cut, and uh, and he just took a guy that is part of this new wave of and they Mendoza on the ESPN broadcast is like baseball influencers. So you took a baseball influencer. You, you, Oof. I don't know so if I you, like that. <laughs> so you took you took the young kind of hip guy you know if you're scott harris so that's a that's a funny dynamic and of course aj hinch who i think is really cool i wouldn't necessarily call him hip uh i feel like aj that. hinch is gonna make fun of max clark's tiktok <laughs> <laughs> i hope he does i hope he does well cody we didn't need the draft in order for this to be an eventful week uh emotional filled week Kind of a lot of things going on, but we'll, we'll we'll transition from the future to the present here and talk about history. History for the Tigers had a combined no-no. Uh, that would be Manning, Foyle, uh, excuse me, Manning, <laughs> Fo- Foyle. Foley, and Lang. Uh, and this happened on Saturday. I was at a, a barbecue. Um, I had had a couple and I was like, I don't really know if this is worth me like killing the vibe and having to go home and you know, maybe that's, maybe that this is like old man syndrome in me. Like, I, like it's awesome, but it's not, it just doesn't feel the same to me. Uh, I don't know if I'm in the minority on that or not. It's still a great accomplishment. It's still fun. Fun fact, Cody, Eric Haas now becomes the only catcher in Detroit Tigers history to catch two no hitters. So there you go. There's your fun fact of the day uh that's a good one and and so look it was a great saint saturday in 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 detroit it's a packed house you know obviously a lot of them being blue jays faithful nothing wrong with that and congratulations to you cody you you finally got to cover right this was your first no-no after uh after a couple scares on the road and then you know obviously the turnbull one this is your first no-no congratulations what was it like to finally cover a no-hitter <laughs> Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, I think the combined no-hitter, it counts. It's not as cool. That's kind of undeniable, I think. Uh, it was a little bit underwhelming, including the guys who threw it uh, post-game were just very, like, stoic about it, you know? They're just Matt Manning, oh, yeah, it was, you know, I knew Foley would get the outs. I knew Lane would get the outs. But at the same time, it was still cool. It was still history, right? I love no-hitter trivia, no-hitter history. I love the catcher thing you just threw out there. I did. I thought this would be more readily available. I had to do some deep digging to find out who has managed the most no-hitters in Major League history. I had to hit up the Athletics' Jason Stark, the king of random baseball factoids, who had to hit up Stats, Inc. We finally got the answer. A.J. Hinch has managed six no-hitters in ten years, which is crazy. All-time leader, Walter Alston, seven. Four of them were Sandy Koufax. So AJ Hinge is tied with John McGraw for the second most no hitters ever managed. McGraw got six in like 33 years. AJ Hinge has managed six in 10. 
And if you were talking to someone who didn't know, they'd be like, oh, well, you know, Hinch managed Verlander and Grinky and Garrett Cole and Dallas Keuchel. But the only dominant starter he's had, get that no-hitter, was Verlander, uh, who got him one. He's managed two combined no-hitters. He's had Mike Fires, who <laughs> in part cost him his job in Houston down the road. Spencer Turnbull. Edwin Jackson threw 149 pitches when AJ was manager of the Diamondbacks. And now AJ's six no-hitter. He pulls Matt Manning after 91 pitches. So I wrote more about this on The Athletic for Monday. It's actually really interesting and, and a lot of fun trivia um, that always comes along with these games. It's kind of strange to think, yeah, no Tigers guys ever caught two. Tigers had never had a combined no-hitter before. The combined no-hitter still somewhat of a newer phenomenon, although the first one was in 1917 when Babe Ruth was ejected after walking the first batter. Uh, that's a great one. So it's still really cool. I get, you know, it doesn't have maybe that same magic, even though I wasn't there for the Turnbull no-hitter, just watching writing about that off Zoom was really exciting. It had this magical quality to it. The combined no-hitter feels more of just like a baseball quirk, a baseball oddity, but we're still talking 320 no-hitters in the history of Major League Baseball. It's still a rare accomplishment. And a great reminder, you never know what you're going to see when you show up to the ballpark. Tigers have just got their brains beaten in 12-2. I didn't see a no-hitter coming. I'm not going to lie. Well, a couple things. I'm surprised just by sheer volume that Connie Mack. And I know there were some lean years there for him. Connie Mack, five. So, I mean, what was he a manager for 50 years? Uh, And and really manager in spirit uh, uh, for for a long time there. But that's that's an insane stat for, for A.J. Hinch. I had no idea the depth. Also... Kudos to going the length to try to get something like that. It's a perfect example of sometimes you do something that takes so long, you're focused on it, and it's like a one-liner or it's a little thing on a podcast, and I don't know if anybody notices, but I appreciate the work that that went into that. It's right. Like, there's so many factoids out there, and that was like the one. There's a whole website dedicated to no-hitters, and it has all these factoids and trivia, and it's not sorted by, like, managers. There was just no way to find it, you know? It would have taken hours to dig through each one. I didn't do that work. That got uh, the people who were paid to do that at Stats, I guess, did that well, work. Well, even, so. you know, watching the celebration, like, it was happy, it was jovial, jovial and all that stuff. But it didn't—the celebration didn't even feel like, you know, like Turnbull's, like, no-hitter. You know, like, on the field, you know? It's just— mm-hmm. I guess in a way it's kind of cool where you get to share with the, you know, your pitchers or whatever you get to share with, you know, your guys. I mean, that's, that's a unique aspect to it. Uh, I, I got to ask Cody is did Matt Manning really not know? Did he really not know he had a no hitter? Yeah, that was the Matt Manning line that he didn't know he had a, a no, no when he was getting taken out. He heard the boos from the crowd, and he just assumed it was Blue Jays pit, uh, fans booing. So there's a lot of uh, big Toronto representation there. I kind of laughed. The Tigers put out like this is the highest intended series we've had since blah blah blah, and it's like, well, half of them are opposing fans, so like I guess that's good. It's still like, random. Yeah, I don't know if I don't, I it's too much random. about it. It's not like Toronto's never come to Detroit, but anyway, yeah, you're, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's true. Um, no, I, I believe it, man. Matt Manning was struggling. It was raining at the start. He was he, His side was hurting. Just knowing Matt Manning, I think he's the type of guy who can get really, really locked in. And uh, no, I thousand percent believe he probably didn't know. That doesn't necessarily surprise me to hear, hear, to hear Matt say something like that, especially given how the game was unfolding. It's not like he was just 
absolutely shoving. It was, in a way, a typical Matt Manning outing where he was like, pretty good, but not great, but... Then you look up and there's zeros on the board. I will give Matt credit. I've been critical of him not being a three-pitch pitcher. It was the best three-pitch mix I've seen him have in the big leagues. The curveball was suddenly back in his repertoire, and that and that was uh, really great to see. He was able to use slider and curveball. Uh, I hope he's able to continue doing that. Yeah, because the conversation now becomes like... Because we talk about the, the Matt Manning conundrum, the development you've written eight or so stories about it uh now we got to throw in a wrinkle that he did two-thirds of a no-hitter you know (laughs) you know uh and and since he's come back like he's been more higher upside matt manning i would say than than the downside and now we're going into the back half of the year where he's gonna be judged harshly by his new boss Scott Harris, who's a busy man today, who's going to be a busy man for the next month. Uh, the Manning aspect of this is fascinating. I don't want to like overreact to like one outing or whatever, but if you get frustrated with, with Matt, justifiably so in a lot of cases, this is why he was so highly touted. This is why he's a, a guy that you have to feel the need to write about all the time. We feel the need to talk about all the time because that's in there. And when it when it gets collectively all together, it's special. And in addition to the stuff, I don't think we should downplay this the the part of the game where his routine is screwed because of the of the delay. I mean, sometimes guys just get scratched, right? And then also this like you know kind of pushing through like a, an ailment. I don't know if we call it injury, but pushing through an ailment. I mean, these are some intangible things for Matt Manning that I don't know if we had a lot of evidence for that he has it in him, if that makes sense. Well, you could also argue that uh, better hope he's not hurt again. <laughs> True. The injury-prone thing is real. I, I do think Matt is going – I don't get the sense it's a huge deal, but they're, they're going to be kind of some follow-up tests to make sure whatever – you know, he said he tweaked his side, so he is going to get a little further evaluation. Tigers didn't seem overly concerned about it on Sunday, but I guess we've also <laughs> heard that before for every every pitcher injury that's ever happened. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, speaking of injuries and, and coming back, it God, we're starting out pretty positively, uh, this podcast. Tarek Skubal, back on the mound. Uh, God, it was so much fun to watch him back out there and to see his mix and to – you know, and, and to see that fastball hit, well, he, what he topped out like ninety eight uh, on was mm-hmm. on Sunday, I think. Uh, it was just great to see him. If he missed eight innings total, he went four each. That's obviously on purpose. Uh, eight innings total, eleven strikeouts, two walks, uh, zero runs. What did, what do did we see this week from from Tarek Skubal and and you know talking to him afterward and AJ and you know how are they? How are they kind of evaluating his return too? Yeah, remarkably impressive, man. It, it it's rare to see a pitcher come back from surgery and just not miss a beat. But Scooble looks like the Scooble of old, like the Scooble we saw, you know, early last season. Fastball is there. He's had a a repertoire of pitches, and he's just so fun to watch. Man, his first start this past week, I was like. You know, it's kind of dragging and just got done moving, been working, you know, get home from the park and I'm working on stuff around the house. And I was like, and I was like, you know what? 
Scooble's pitching, man. I'm I'm actually pretty excited to go see Scooble tonight. And sure enough, I mean, his, his first two outings back, dude hasn't given up a run yet. I do think the Tigers are going to continue to be pretty cautious with him, really make sure they uh, handle him gently coming back off this surgery. So as much as we would all like to see Scooble go seven innings, I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon, even post-All-Star break. I think they'll look to get him an extra day's rest here or there, build that pitch count up slowly, or kind of have it like a five, six inning max thing for him, maybe the rest of the year. Uh, it's probably not what fans want to hear, but given the fragility of these arms, kind of hard to say it doesn't make sense. That's where we're at with Scooble. Uh, you just hope he keeps throwing like this because, man, he's really, really good. Uh, you know, I wonder how much his name might come up in trade talks. My early indication is I don't think the Tigers have much interest in trading Tarek Scooble. Uh, that gets into the bigger conversation of, okay, how many pieces do they have? How are they going to get bats? But... I think they're going to be smart with Scooble, and I think they view him as a piece that's going to be here for a while. Yeah, as they should. I mean, it, all the team is, what, 12 games below 500. I'm listening to offers on everybody, but you better you better, right. you better, impre- better, better be a big boy be, offer. Don't waste my time unless you're serious uh, type situation. Yeah. And and also, I put this on Twitter. Uh, you know, I said uh, – so happy to to see Riley Green waddling uh, waddling around the bases or whatever. It was uh, it was it was great to see. It's funny. I was talking to my wife like leading up into the weekend. It's like you know, well, how long is he gonna be you know in the minors? I'm like, well, you know, typically rehabs are trying to make sure your body's like recovered from the injury. But this isn't like that situation. So it's like a timing thing. And then I'm like, well, he hit another home run. I think I think everything's good. And he wasted no time. Uh, you know, let's see. He had looking at the stats right now. Two hits in each of the each of the two games he played in, including a home run. Uh, got into the outfield on Sunday, and the latest news right before we start recording, Jake Marisnik uh gets the gets the axe there. Who I thought was fine, by the way. Like people that were like freaking out. Kind of filled his role, you know. Didn't do anything amazing, but he did yeah. what was asked of him. You know, it, it could have gotten worse. He was playable. He gave you really good defense. Probably did a little more with the stick than you would have expected. Uh, I was, you know, especially once they DFA'd Scope, like, there was a case for having Marisnik stick around, especially with Riley being injured, coming off injury, you want to take it easy with the stress reaction, stress fracture. Like, there, was, I think there was a legitimate argument. What if you leave Marisnik in center? and start playing Riley Green in a corner. Because I think the long-term plan is absolutely to find a way to get Riley to a corner eventually. Maybe that plan's accelerated a little bit given the stress reaction at age 22. Like, you got to really be sure you keep this cat healthy. That's not going to be the plan for the second half. Riley Green is going to play center field, but A.J. Hinch has come out and said publicly, like, he's going to DH a little bit. We're going to give him some days off. They're going to monitor his workload. I think there's an argument. Like, if you're going to try to have this guy play in the corners for the next in the next year or two, why not just go ahead and do that now? Have Mariznick hold down center until, say, Parker Meadows is ready. Now, that's not going to be the case. Mariznick's DFA, Riley Green, is going to play center um, probably for the remainder of this season. But I think that's something to watch going forward a little bit. Yeah, for sure. And I agree. If... 
I don't know. If there's nothing wrong with a the guy, then you know, might as well keep him. But I understand, you know, you know what they're doing or whatever. And Veerling's gonna get some infield work as well. It looks like. Uh, yeah, <laughs> look forward to some creative lineup choices for uh, AJ Hinch in the second half. Uh, you, you talked about scope. We can kind of have that conversation now. Uh, part of me is like relieved, like just like that. There's a, a finality element to, to to the Jonathan Scope experience for the past you know, two, one and a half seasons or whatever. It just, it just wasn't working. There were less and less reasons to kind of keep him in the lineup. He like seemed like based on your writing, everybody's writing professional the entire time, but he just didn't, didn't have it. And he, he's like the ultimate example of like a post roids era, like what the plateau kind of used to be uh you know what i mean like that's actually good because this was this was i know he wasn't like a slugger slugger but this would have been the point where somebody would have all of a sudden started going from 19 20 home runs to 35 and everyone was like oh this is kind of cool no you know don't ask don't tell with that you know and this is kind of like a normal trajectory for a above average ball player and and and, uh, unfortunately maybe like a little sooner but it yeah, I don't know if I'd say it was normal because I wrote and I asked AJ Hinch, like, kind of how do you explain the big drop-off? Like, Scope to me is very much a guy you're going to pick up his baseball card if those are still a thing in 10, 20 years. And you're going to flip it over and you're going to look at his numbers and be like, oh, this guy had a nice career. And then you're going to be like, what happened? You know, there are guys like that through the history of the game who just fall off a cliff. And Scope has always been one of those guys who feels older than he is. Like, he's not even 32 yet. He's 31. And had a nice age 29 season and then bad age 30 season. Thought maybe he would rebound at age 31, 32. He did not. Um, I think you make a good point. I think maybe people like us who grew up watching the steroids era, like, we're a little maybe more accustomed to guys playing deeper into their 30s. Like maybe this is a little more common, but it was uh, there was no real fade. It was just straight off the cliff with Jonathan Scope, which to me I think is just a reminder of how unpredictable this is. Like I don't think anyone had a problem with the contract extension the Tigers gave Jonathan Scope. I'm pretty sure we spoke of it positively on this podcast, yep. or at least I did, and it just did not work out. Coming into this season, I got to eat this one. I was like, y'all are all trying to get rid of Scope. I think he's gonna have a bounce back here. I was wrong on that. Uh, I think it was a necessary move. It just got to be an untenable situation. But I don't know. It's also like, man, Scope's been on this team since 2020. I'm not going to lie. I was writing this story, and I I got, like, weirdly emotional just kind of, like, writing about the arc of his career, which is not something that, that, that happens. But I was just – it was just kind of sad, I think, from the high hopes of – 2021 he's talking about he wants to be like nelson cruz was for him when he was coming up with the orioles core that included scope and Manny machado and like things were just supposed to go well and not only did they not go well they went the exact opposite to where this guy couldn't even finish the the contract thing i mean this guy hired scott boris as his agent and scott boris is known for we're going to free agency no matter what and he said scott i want to stay in detroit and that's what happened, and it's it, it's just kind of again a guy who was very professional, good clubhouse guy, and it it just got to where it had to end. 
Sucks. It does suck. And, you know, because I, I was texting with uh, another Tigers fan earlier in the week, and, you know, he's asking me, like, you know, when does the DFA coming for scope? And I was like, I sort of thought maybe, like, when you had no choice but to bring up J-Hen, like, maybe it'd be it'd be around that time. Uh, because there were, there were also series, I mean, the series against Texas. He played in every game. I was like, I did not expect. Now, one of them it was when he was like pitching or whatever. But like, like I didn't expect to see Jonathan Scope four four straight days. You know, like he was. Yeah. He was. There would be times where he was like oddly in the lineup a lot, and you give the guy credit for being healthy and ready to play, and 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 I'm a big believer in that stuff being being warranted. But uh, I, I wrote down in my notes here, lesson to learn from this. I just don't know if there's. Sometimes the game giveth and, and taketh away, and there's not really much else to say other than that. I mean, this is a guy who, it wasn't for a lack of trying. He changed his body, you know, and, and he and he took his uh, his training seriously. Maybe maybe this is the game passing him by like a little bit. Like we knew it was gonna be a struggle without the shift that kind of took away like one of his best assets. But he wasn't a liability at third base, you know, and. He's still pretty good yeah. defensive player this year. Maybe not quite gold glove level, but he was good. Even his time at second, he graded out pretty well. His like you talk about falling off a cliff. I guess I don't have like the data on his bat speed, but it seemed like the guy just lost all bat speed real quick. He went from being an okay fastball hitter to one of the very very worst in baseball. And I think he was maybe he got in his head a little bit. Like the Tigers really wanted him to chase less and. Maybe that he did that right. He took that coaching and stride, career best walk rate, career low chase rate, but the power did not come at all. Couldn't hit the fastball. I think that got him only to where he was more caught off guard by off speed. He wasn't hitting that either. He was just kind of a mess at the plate, and, and the Tigers couldn't run him out there every day. I'll be kind of curious. Like I think another team will give Scope a chance here at some point. Um, I don't think his major league career is done. I also don't know that there's a big rebound coming. I'll I'll be curious to see like what the next step looks like for Jonathan Scott. Yeah, well, he can join the list of uh, ex Tigers, short term Tigers that, or you know, some in some cases longer term Tigers that lead the team and and have either some moments or uh, or, or or exact some measure of revenge that includes both Castro's, uh, Jamer, Cody Clemens. Uh, it's probably it's probably one of if those guys can do it. I think Jonathan Josh Stoke Harrison is still playing. <laughs> Josh, I talk about a surprising one. That's a guy who looked cooked his time in the Tigers. Granted, he was very hurt, but it's a guy who just looked done. And here he is, about four years later, you know, and he's he's still yeah. kicking. And around. you know, it's not like like he was going to be gone no matter what. So this is just kind of like doing it now as opposed to playing it out the season earmarking i'm surprised we haven't heard like more reminders of earmarking at bats for younger players uh that's gonna be the theme of the second half and you're also gonna be earmarking innings for player uh younger players and that leads us to and a column. Uh, when's the last? You don't write that many columns. Obviously, you're not a columnist, but I don't I can't remember the last time you wrote a column. I'm sure you did it relatively recently, but uh, yeah, it's 
been a while. Normally, I'll just, you know, at the athletic, it's, it's a little different than the AP. Like, I'm able to slide mm-hmm. a little more voice or, like, analysis in, in my stories without labeling it a column. Um, this one, like, I want to be a little more straight-up opinionated and be like, yo, the Tigers got to trade Eduardo Rodriguez. So I went with the, the, the traditional column label. I wish you would have made that the headline, yo. The Tigers have to... <laughs> which it. We're owned by the New York Times, and I don't think we can do that. The, the old days, maybe, so. But uh, the title, you, Tigers have to get all they can for Eduardo Rodriguez, who also pitched this week. Uh, kind of reminded me, again, just like kind of snap analysis of how I felt about Manny and his return. It's like, all right, well, I see it's there still. Like, you know, he can kind of iron out as. I, th- I thought Eduardo was better than the line. The line yeah. was ugly, but. The stuff was was there. Like he wasn't a thousand percent crisp, and uh, kind of one. He looked like a guy who just came back from a finger injury. Like it's fine, you know, it's fine. Yeah. And yeah. probably going to see him three to four more times in a Tigers uniform. I actually came to this conclusion, like where it's like, just, just I'm just wait, I'm just ready for the trade. Just give me the trade. Like I, I don't have like a. Uh, Will hit. It, it, give me the trade. I, I want to be able to assess the trade. I want to be able to kind of judge another aspect of the job that Scott Harris has done with the pieces he gets back and or the timing of it. Is it all the way up to the deadline? Is it a couple days before? Like I, 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 I'm ready for it. And this week was just like a perfect reminder as to like why it needs to be done because he pitch we'll just say well or adequately in, in certain instances and it i just don't know having eduardo rodriguez as your ace is really like beneficial for being a team in serious contention so if you have a guy who is a hot commodity on the trade market and you're also in a situation if you're scott harris where you're going to be able to have some financial freedom at least in theory uh, to help reshape this roster, it's not just trading Eduardo Rodriguez. Your return reflects that you're trading Eduardo Rodriguez for just the rest of this year because that's just going to be part of it. But the perspective is also you have to you're you're getting you're getting money back essentially from the next three years of his deal, and that's you know it's not like a terribly expensive contract, but it's not cheap either. So it's like a clean slate aspect for Scott Harris, which I don't think enough people are kind of like shaping, like thinking of it that way. That like Scott has to look at this is how I kind of get to reset this roster in my image, your number one trade asset. And he's not afraid to trade pitchers, nor should he be. But I'm curious, what, what, what now? Because the team is ten plus games below five hundred, and I think the hopes of being like, hey, you know, make a play, make a play for the Central have kind of like dissipated. Now it's just kind of like watching the team to see just how they, you know, how they do just in general. What 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 kind of responses did you get to to this about like they have to trade him instead of saying, you know, that was a pretty strong statement, correct one I would add. But you know, what kind of responses are you getting from fans now? Because there was a long while where head in the sand, I was a little bit like that too. It's like ah, oh, just. Let's just try to win and, and and figure it out from there. But what are, what what's the fan base? What's the pulse of the fan base now with that? Yeah, I, I I didn't get a very strong reaction really either way. I do think a lot of people have come around to like 
yeah, Tigers probably aren't going to be seriously competitive. Now, granted, this roster is a lot more healthy. It makes you wonder, what if they come back from the All-Star break and win five in a row? I actually think that would be, like, the worst thing that could happen to the team, right? <laughs> that could talk you into, like, well, maybe we shouldn't trade Erod. Um, like, this team just isn't quite good enough. They can do some good things. I think they might have a better second half. Like, I still think they can finish mid-70s win total. But, like, I think probably my best take of the year was when I said the Tigers aren't really one thing or another. Like, this is what they are. They're going to have some pretty good days, and they're going to have some really, really bad days. And it's easy to get dark and down on the really, really bad days. You do have to remember there are going to be highs and lows and peaks and valleys. But they're, what, I think fifth worst, fourth or fifth worst in baseball and run differential. Their bad days are really, really bad because they just don't have the juice it takes to truly be competitive night in and night out. And I think that's the, uh, the hard decision you have to make when you're in Scott Harris's chair. I don't think Scott Harris is blind to that at all. I think he knows he needs more hitters. I think he has a very real grasp, grasp on this team. The question is, can he actually orchestrate a deal? It's still tricky with the opt-out, Eduardo's injury, even though I think plenty of teams will still be interested in him. It does make a deal tougher um, than when his stock was sky high early in the year. It's looking like the pitching market could be a little more crowded than we initially thought, given the Mets are terrible and the Padres are terrible and the Cardinals are terrible. Uh, they could look to sell some frontline starters. So maybe Erod isn't like the guy. The White Sox are terrible. Maybe Erod isn't the guy on the market. But he's a left-handed starter. He's good. Maybe he's not going to get you this ace-level return, but I think he's far and away your best trade chip. I don't know that he's your most likely to go. I'd say right now Michael Lorenzen almost not getting enough buzz on the trade market. I mean, he's going to be a rental, but like, I mean, Al Avila got Joey Wentz and another player for Shane Green, you know, like not that Joey Wentz is amazing, but like I think you can get Reece a Olsen decent for prospect for Michael Lorenzen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and the Tigers have no reason to keep Lorenzen, I guess. Like you could argue now that he's an all-star and yeah, Quick aside, we kind of uh, poo-pooed on the Lorenzen All-Star selection last week, and I still don't think he should have been the Tigers' representative, but I do want to give him some credit. Came here, had a good year, has been a good signing by Scott Harris. Um, he's improved himself. So you could, like, I don't know, extend Lorenzen, but if I'm Lorenzen's agent, I'm being like, no, because what if my guy has a fire second half and ends up being worth, you know, almost twice as much as, as he's getting right now? So obviously there's there's a lot at play here. Bottom line though, like I was charting out, what do the Tigers look like in 2025? And you can feel good about Riley Green, you can probably feel pretty good about Colt Keith. You got some question marks and guys like Torque, you know, made it. Right now it seems like you can feel good about Jake Rogers, but you need more bats, and the best way to get one is trading someone like Eduardo Rodriguez. You want to replace him, you're going to have plenty of money in free agency. You go sign Aaron Nola this offseason. Boom. You, you have another frontline starter, probably at a pretty similar cost. Yeah, well, okay, so you bring up Lorenzen. Uh, again, good for him, I think, We, but we all kind of know uh, know the deal. So, is, so then that's another interesting aspect for, for Scott Harris to juggle because – as depleted as this staff has been and as as drained as this bullpen has been at times, that's still also going to be like a tough one to swallow 
from game to game to 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 to, to have one of your top your first starting five out with injury that would be Matthew Boyd of course and then trade away two of them and I know you did gain one in Scooble but your set's still a net loss and uh, who knows with yeah. Wentz you know what what's the deal and who knows with yeah. Turnbull that's that's I mean this is probably the downside for the idea of the Tigers could be better in the second half. I think their offense will take up a little bit. I think Scooble being back is huge. But you're probably going to see a lot of Alex Fiedo, and you're probably going to see a lot of Joey Wentz. Now, one interesting thing, I think there's some growing buzz that Casey Mize could pitch this season. I'm not saying it's a fact, but I had been kind of like, no, that's not going to happen. And sounds like these bullpens that he's been throwing have been like, not just messing around. Like, Casey Mize wants to pitch, and he's been so sharp that the Tigers are, like, being like, well, if he's physically able to pitch, why not, You know, why would we get them all geared up and then say, all right, go to Tampa, sew in your butt for four months. Not that he would sew in his butt, but you know what I mean. I wouldn't rule out Casey Mize in September. I'm not saying it's a fact, but I think it's more likely than it was a month ago. It's very interesting. And that would be... Not that like this actually plays into it, but if you're if you're if you're if you got like the marketing team kind of like poking in your office like every couple of days, it's like, hey man, you just got rid of our all star, you just got rid of our uh, you know high price free agent. Can you give me something? Can you give me can you give me something? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, you know, Mize might be you know, you know that that's good for the buzz of the team, and and if he shows something. Uh, like I don't even necessarily think of it like a momentum aspect, but just like this guy needs innings. This guy needs innings in order to improve, yeah. and he's just not going to get better if he's healthy and not pitching. Like I, yeah. Now the wild card here, you mentioned Turnbull. I don't, I don't think anyone like he could be traded. He could be like not healthy enough to throw at all. Like he's healthy, he's throwing bullpens. I think he's a long way from game ready, from what I understand. Like, I think maybe he could be a nice little throw-in piece in some kind of trade. Or he could come back and help you in August, September. Like, that's the one. I don't I don't even think the Tigers internally really know what to expect from Turnbull right now. I'll just say right now, and I reserve the right to change my mind, I'm not, like, too keen to train term, uh, trade Turnbull right now. Uh, not, his stock's at an all-time low. He can yeah, still come back and, and be good. Exactly, and... I think there's a very real possibility it becomes a better trade asset potentially next year or, you know, so that, that's yeah. just kind of my thoughts on that. Well, okay. So Cody, I wanted to, to go back to something that you said earlier, where it was like this Tigers team just is, was this not the most epitome of this Tigers team just is we, we talked, we talked about, you know, the no hitter. We didn't even talk about the blown, uh, blown save by Alex Lang, one one out away, uh, gives up you know gives up the walk and then gives up the home run and you know didn't really show a lot of life uh, and their three at bats and extra innings or whatever. Plus the Oakland series, like the Oakland series, kind of like it got me thinking about like how this fan base views this team and I'm not really sure how to kind of piece it together, but. Like, I'm a big believer you can kind of, like, agree on things at the same time that may be contradictory. Like, yeah, it was, like, pretty pathetic. 
to lose two out of three to the Oakland Athletics. I don't really think much. many people would disagree with me on that. But, like, the way, like, I can't believe we lost two out of three to, like, maybe the worst team in the American League and, you know, whatever. It's like, look, I share your frustration. I share your disappointment. But I'm also thinking, like, look, did you play 162 of these things? Like, this is, like, at the, this is, like, the beginning of the week, like, right after, you know, leading up to your, your All-Star break, you know? Like, sometimes it happens. Like, sometimes it happens, and it sucks. And, like, the hype with having the return, like, I, I thought this would have been, a you know, an amazing week. School back, Erod back, playing the athletics, home, holiday, like, all of these things. And it was just kind of, like, but we talked a lot coming in, to, like, in the off season, and then in spring training, and then at the beginning of the year with the tough schedule and all these things that we just kind of, like, forget because, yeah, we're just too present and future-focused as people. Like, we, this season was always going to be a wash. It was always going to be a wash. It was treated like a wash. You could you could hang around in the AL Central for as long as you can. Scott Harris, is, you know, obviously you don't like tank tank in baseball. It's not a tanking team. Uh, but Scott Harris positioned this team to not do much in 2023. And that's when you're tied with the longest playoff drought. Like, it sucks. It sucks. It's not fun to watch. It's not fun to cover, you know, at times. This team has fed us enough, I feel like, this year to keep things interesting, which is, you know, I think, I, I, I don't want to speak for you, but as a journalist, that's kind of like what you hope for, right, is, you know, things be interesting. There's, there's been a degree of chaos that is, for the most part, there's been a lot to write about. Yeah, and, uh, you know, fun topics for us to cover. And you have, like you mentioned, the attendance not record, but best since I think it was like 2017 or something like really random. Uh, like, yeah, it was a lot of Toronto fans, but that doesn't make up the whole thing, you know? Uh, so like a hey, quick shout out at Tigers marketing. You know, what has been great this year. The giveaways, the Riley green bobble has been, this is the best year of Tigers giveaways in my time here. They've had some cool stuff. Well, I, uh, through my sources, I was able to acquire the apron and let me tell you, it's a, it's a badass apron like it is a great apron and and so yeah you're you're definitely on point there i'd like there's reasons for hope i i, I would love to go to the ballpark every day to see riley green you know what i mean i i think special torkelson is fun to watch when things are good for him you know i got to see three of his home runs two weeks ago or whatever the miguel cabrera aspect of it has not fallen flat on its face which i think we all kind of thought like Decent boss. It was heading there. It was heading <laughs> it was, there. It was heading there, but there's been some Miggy moments. Uh, I would still classify this first half as fun, and you and, and the, the the frustrations are real. The shortcomings of this team are real. The calls for guys to come up are only going to get louder, and I understand that. Uh, but it's just it's just kind of weird to me to try to. I, I couldn't put my thumb on how I thought the fan base viewed the team. Because some of the frustrations are that of that of a real contender. And this team was never going to be a real contender. So I don't know if any of that makes sense. But it, but it's it, it, it's one of those things where, like, I, I think there should be some bigger picture focuses than dropping two out of three. Dumbly, frustratingly, 
to the Oakland Athletics right before the All-Star break. They're like, there's bigger things at play here to, that should be focused on, should be scrutinized, should be hyped up, should be, uh, should be like elated for. So that's just kind of like yeah. my two cents here. But you hear from them every day, call, you know, uh, comments and Twitters and, and all these things. So I don't know if, like, if you have anything to kind of sort of add to that. Well, I'll do my favorite thing, which is compare everything to the 2021 team, which wasn't really good, but was a lot of fun and the fan base really liked. That, that response hasn't been there. The team hasn't been playing quite as good as that. But I think the, just the brand of baseball hasn't been as good, as fun, as exciting, as night in, night out competitive. And I think that's why there's more of a negative perception around this team. Like, I, I, as interesting as they've been, I mean, they just threw a combined no-hitter for crying out loud. Riley Green's had a terrific month when he was healthy. Um, it's been frustrating, and the bad nights have been bad. So good news for the second half. Cool Keith and Justin Henry Malloy are going to get up here at some point. I'm not sure exactly when. Probably post-trade deadline, if I had to guess. They're going to get up here. Parker Meadows probably gets up here. I think if they were in love with Parker Meadows, he would have came up when Nevin came up like everyone wanted him to. Um, what I'm hearing is they're still really concerned about his his chase rate. They think he needs to get in the strike zone more in AAA, otherwise he will get torn up by big league pitching. So I don't know. I haven't watched enough of every Toledo game to know if that's the proper assessment, but it seems like that's what the Tigers front office thinks with Meadows. I'm sure we'll still see him like you would think. Uh, the bad news, I'm, I'm starting to look ahead a little bit, like 2024, I think the team probably is a little better, I'm not sure it's going to be a lot better, I think 2024 is going to be more what people wish this year was, which is a lot of the Keith, Meadows, Malloy, I think we'll have a much more clear idea of the direction Scott Harris wants to take this team, we'll get to see these younger guys who may or may not be real pieces, feel them out a little bit. I have a hard time getting too hyped up about anything before 2025. Look, Scott Harris, I think, will look to build more through trades and shrewd moves than straight-up free agency. But the bottom line is next year's free agent class, other than Shohei Otani, is not very inspiring. And the free agent class after 2024 is really, really good. I mean, you got Alex Bregman, you got Tim Anderson, Willie Adamas. That's just like naming a few. You have some better outfielders on the market. And that you can see how low the Tigers' payroll is going to be in the next couple years. It's going to be really, really low. They should have money to do something this next offseason. But I think they're going to keep it pretty low. And it would make sense to spend pretty big going in on 2025. So that gets into some really big picture talk. But uh, it seems to me like that's kind of where the tea leaves are headed. You know, I, I think maybe the this team's highs. Like the 2021, it was just kind of like, you know... It's like your first semester of college, man. You're just having fun. You're not really worried about any consequence. And then it's like, oh, I got to maintain a 3-0, like, combined to keep my scholarship. And I got a – sitting at a at a Michael Jordan 2-3 right now. Uh, you know, I got to – I got to I gotta bump those numbers up. Uh, this – last year, obviously, was with the disappointment with all the, the, the signings. And then this year, kind of feeling out. I just think this team's highs are too high. I think that might be – that might be like a, a way because some when when it's going right, it's really fun. It's really fun. You really should have taken two out of three from Toronto, right? And especially yeah. when you bounce back after that first game of the series, like there's a million examples of of God. It's so much fun when you know Riley the month of May and 
and Erod when he's going like eight innings, like three out of four outings, and you know all these things. When it's fun, man, it is fun. Uh, but yeah, you're right. When it's bad, it's bad. Speaking of that, I just want to kind of end here. I've, we had a lot of hype in this podcast. So I guess it's a little fitting that I kind of wrap this up here with a little bit of a, you know, like not not so hot note. We're not talking about it enough. And as people who talk about the Tigers, we're guilty of the whole we're not talking about it enough. So I just kind of want to put this out there. I wonder how much longer Eric Haas will be a Tiger. That's just a, that's just a thought that I have. Uh, he's sneaky old. He's going to turn. He's, next year's going to be his age 31 season. He's a negative war player right now. We've talked about how Jake Rogers has supplanted him. He's a guy that's a, he, just like everybody else on this roster pretty much. He's a holdover from the previous regime. Uh, he's got three home runs this year. I don't know. Yeah. Haas needs to get going soon. The one thing, like several Tigers he has going in his favor, is who is there to replace him. And the answer is kind of nobody at catcher this year. Next year, maybe they could look to make some sort of deal, or maybe you feel more optimistic about Dylan Dingler. Who, by the way, has had I mean, a I, fine I, year. If, if, by the way, yeah, he's been. He, people are almost kind of, and I've never been like all aboard the Dingler hype train, but I feel like people have kind of written him off, and he's been like fine. Like I still think he'll be like a can be a major league backup, you know. I guess if Scott Harris really wanted to, you could like try to acquire a third catcher type as a throw-in at some deadline deal if you really felt like you needed to. There's still a chance Haas gets going a little bit in the second half. So your point, your point is right. It's just like I don't think he's getting DFA'd anytime soon because you're not going to DFA him for Donnie Sands, right. who has been uh, below expectations in AAA. Like, I think is Michael Papierski still down there? Like you don't even have the uh, the Eric ha- the guy Eric Haas once was kind of the four A catcher. You don't you don't super have that, and that's probably why Haskins. And plus, he can like play left field and all that. It's, it's kind of a little overrated, especially now your outfield is crowded. You don't even want to do that anymore. Um, it's just something I'm keeping an eye on. Is all I'm saying. I'm yeah, not rooting for yeah, it, obviously. Uh, I'm not like even predicting it. It's just something that I'm keeping an eye on. Uh, but you know, like I said, congratulations, only Tigers catcher to uh, to catch two no hitters. So pretty cool. Uh, all right, that's a great feat. Right Eventful week, Cody. Uh, we gotta get out of here. Thank you everybody for listening, subscribing on Apple and Spotify, subscribing to us on YouTube. You can follow Cody on Twitter at Cody Stavenhagen. I am at Kieran underscore Steckley. Our pod page is at Turn Corner Pod. So for Cody Stavenhagen, I am Kieran Steckley. Everybody have a great week.